Welcome to EDS at Union Now. This week, Dean Douglas speaks with two guests, Bishop Bailey and Reverend Cornelia Eaton, both of the Episcopal Church in Navajo land. Bishop Bailey has been a priest in the Western United States for many years, and Reverend Eaton was ordained in 2015 after serving in many diocesan roles. Get involved where you are right now. Check out Episcopal Relief and Development's Asset Map to find a place where you can be engaged throughout the year. I am Kelly Brown Douglas, Dean of the Episcopal Divinity School at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. I thank you once again for joining us in our series of conversations on being church in the time of COVID-19. Today, I am privileged to have joining me two faith leaders, both of whom serve in the Episcopal Diocese of Navajo Land. With me today is Bishop David Bailey, and Reverend Canon Cornelia Eaton, who is also a member of the Navajo Nation. Welcome and thank both of you for taking the time to join me in this important conversation. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I want to jump right in because there's so much to talk about. Here's what we know. This COVID-19 pandemic has laid bare the injustices, inequalities, and sheer atrocities that have been a part of this country's DNA and identity. There is no community of people that have been more on the side of this country's injustices than that of First Nations communities. In this regard, the impact of COVID-19 upon First Nations peoples tells the story of this country's inhumanity to a group of people. And there has been no community more devastated by COVID-19 than the Navajo Nation. So before we get into the details of that story and that impact, some people listening might not know what we were talking about when we say Navajo Nation. And so Reverend Cornelia, what are we talking about geographically and demographically when we say Navajo Nation? Yeah, uh, the Navajo Nation is uh, part of three states. It's a uh, part of New Mexico, um, Arizona, and Utah. And uh, part of these three states um, is pretty much in the Four Corners area. Um, but more so uh, the landscape, the context of the Navajo Nation is mostly Arizona and a huge, large portion of the reservation is in Arizona. And the outskirts of the reservation kind of tie into the upper four corners of New Mexico and also up in the northern part of, um, well, the northern part of Arizona, but the lower part, the southern part of Utah. And, um, and it expands um, a, a large number of, of miles across the land. And, um, and I believe that we're about like 27,000 square feet. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about traveling 27,000 miles square feet from one side to the other side of the Navajo Nation, it could roughly go about four to five hours. Um, it's about that, the size of West Virginia. 
yeah. about the size of West Virginia. And so, and, uh, so if I, pardon me. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. So we're talking about a population of what, about 200,000 or so persons? Um, on the Navajo reservation, uh, you're looking at at least 175,000 to 200,000, but the enrolled members are about at least 350,000. Uh, most of the Navajo live off, uh, part of the Navajo uh, percentage live off the Navajo Nation. So they live in the cities or towns, um, but uh, at least 175,000 uh, people live on the Navajo Nation. Great. Now, so the Navajo Nation is reporting numbers in terms of COVID-19 that are only surpassed by New York and New Jersey. Research data suggested more, there are more than 3,600 confirmed cases of coronavirus among uh, First Nation tribes, with more than 2,000 of those at least in Navajo Nation. Latest count, I think, was 140 deaths with uh, Bishop David, 813 cases and 28 deaths alone in your uh, diocese of Navajo land. So we know the data, so we can all look at that, but what's the human story behind these numbers? Reverend Cornelia, what's it look like on the ground? Uh, right now, um, we're at the part uh, at a time where we're, our Navajo Nation president is trying to shelter, have everybody shelter in place uh, because this virus is um, continuing to spread and, um, and it's continuing to spread in some of the most isolated areas on the Navajo Nation. And the reason for that is that um, uh, because of family structure, families that live together. I mean, we're a people of relatives, of clans, of, uh, I mean, we have, we share four different clans, you know, we, we, we are a part of our mom's clan, our dad's clan, our grandfather, paternal grandfather's clan, and maternal grandfather's clan. So there's a huge clan system, and a lot of these uh, relatives live in these certain areas together. Um, because kinship is a deep part of our uh, spiritual way of life. And it's a big part of who we are as a culture, as um, our traditional way. So I think a lot of the challenges around this is making sure that people, uh, families um, uh, shelter in place and, and try not to travel long distances to the bordering towns and uh, so a lot, a lot of the grounds right now is um, trying to get people to, to stay home. Um, and so that's why a lot of the resources, food resources that are coming in are distributed into the uh, chapter houses, which is when I mean chapter houses, uh, those are the local uh, government structures in the Navajo Nation. Um, the Navajo Nation is made of, of, of uh, the, the direction under the uh, Navajo Nation and the Navajo Nation President and the Navajo Nation Council. Out of that, uh, there's a spread like a tree. Um, the tree spreads out into these uh, areas that are made up of chapters. And there are about 110 chapters on the Navajo Indian Reservation. And this is uh, spread out 
throughout. So a lot of the distributions are going to these areas. And uh, so that's what the grounds look like right now as uh, local communities are trying to help local people and, um, uh, and a lot of uh, support coming in from the outside, uh, trying to help us to um, look at ways to, uh, uh, as, as, the, as the saying goes, um, uh, to, to level out to, to the, the virus spread. So get to flatten the curve is flatten the curve is, is so, about the right so word. Yeah. I want to thank you. I want to follow up a little bit uh, with that with Bishop David. We hear a lot about the comorbid health conditions that make certain have made certain communities more susceptible to the virus, be it uh, heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, etc. But what is not as often spoke about are the comorbid social conditions, the conditions into which people are forced by no choice of their own to live. Can, and there's no community of people more than the Navajo Nation that have been forced and relegated to comorbid living conditions. Can you, Bishop David, speak to those a little bit? There are several factors here that we need to be aware of. One, uh, going back, Cornelia was talking about our, uh, particularly our church and others, trying to make sure that those who are isolated are being fed. There are only 13 grocery stores yes. on the entire Navajo Reservation, which is the size of West Virginia. There are a number of convenience stores, uh, you know, like 7-Eleven and, and uh, gas station grocery store kinds of things that have primarily processed foods. But, but quality foods such as fresh vegetables, fresh meat, those kinds of things are not readily available on the reservation. You know, that's a bottom line, which is causing a lot of our folk to have to drive, as an example, our people in, in uh, Utah have to drive 40 miles round trip to the closest grocery store, okay? We have conditions where over a third of our reservation has no electricity. Right. We have uh, roughly 40% of our reservation has no running water. And so these communities have to go and do a similar thing as they're doing with groceries in terms of accessing water. We're fortunate in our congregation in Bluff, Utah, to have an artesian well that allows us to provide water for communities that are as far away as 50 miles that come and draw water from that particular well. But not everyone has that access. And so consequently, they're still having to do as some of our folks are doing, having to go and draw water. And, and they don't have the large containers to hold the water. So they're doing it in gallon buckets and five gallon uh, buckets and things of that nature, which the consequence of that is that they don't have adequate sanitation, particularly in the middle of the coronavirus, uh, to be able to wash their hands. And so that's part of our difficulty also, is being able to provide sanitation just as simple as hand washing, which is a difficult thing for us to do. So yeah. let me ask this. I am struck by the fact that 40% of people on the reservations in Navajo Nation don't have access 
to water. Yet Navajo Nation borders 80 miles of the Colorado River, yet doesn't have access to a drop of water. Moreover, I'm struck that a third of people in Navajo Nation don't have access to electricity. Yet Navajo land helped create electricity for Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Phoenix, yet families in Navajo land don't have power. Can you speak to that? I'm, I'm not sure that I can speak to it without using expletives. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, part of the difficulty that we have in Navajo land is one of, of the demographic itself. Um, we, the landscape, if you will, the geography does not lend itself uh, to adequate electricity without huge expense and or adequate water without huge expense. As, a, as an example, I've been working, I've been bishop for 10 years, and I have been working on trying to replace the well at our congregation at Montezuma Creek at St. John. And the least amount of money that it'll cost us is over $95,000 to be able to drill a well deep enough to provide safe water. And so what we're now having to look at, look at is, can we put a cistern in and haul water from, uh, from our cistern, from our artesian well, to be able to fill that so that that congregation, which has a 30 mile round trip for water, can have water at least for, for three or four weeks and then we refill it. But, but again, it's the geography, which part of what leads to that. Uh, and it's again, it's, it's money. It's not having the adequate resources for the Navajo Nation. I don't know you, whether you've seen recently the articles about money that was acquired for indigenous peoples that have never gotten to the indigenous people. That's uh, right. So that's part of a continuing problem that we have is being able to provide the nation and other indigenous communities with the resources, and I'm talking about financial resources, to be able to do the things that they need to do. This is not a new problem. Yeah. I wish I could say it was just around the pandemic. And that's why I, I sort of laughingly said, I don't speak, think I can speak to it without expletives <laughs> because it goes back a long way. That's right. It's, it's, the pandemic has exacerbated the problem. And the irony is while you talk about not having the resources and the land, et cetera, yet, the country, the nation, has used the resources and the land of uh, indigenous peoples for its own uh, privileges and to feed itself. And yet here we find the Navajo Nation and others uh, without their own resources and access to their own land and, and, and resources. And so there's just uh, an atrocious and horrifying irony, which leads me and Reverend Cornelia, I want to ask this question. So when you hear, for instance, that states are opening up uh, that around Navajo land like Utah, Arizona, and New Mexico, and they all overlap with Navajo Nation, and yet once again, they're opening up without uh, respect for the crisis and how it is evolving. Uh, and growing and Navajo Nation. When you hear these states opening up, what, what are your thoughts? 
What well, do you do? yeah, um, it's, I mean, thoughts are, you know, uh, you know, obviously anxieties um, could, could settle in um, and uncertainty and, you know, not knowing that we've, this country has not gotten a handle of the COVID virus as of, as of yet. And, um, and I just feel like it's a lack of responsibility on, on the part of those who want this uh, open states to happen. Um, I think sometimes uh, the lack of understanding, the lack of vulnerability, uh, understanding the vulnerabilities of people that are in this country and especially in our area that are, we're, we're very vulnerable people. Um, our, our bodies, our, our systems are made different than the way a lot of the other uh, folks were created. I mean, I think that indigenous peoples were created in such an, a vulnerable and a beautiful way because um, I think that our, our bodies are made to live off the land. Our, our, our inner resources, our sustenance, are, is to live off the land and uh, you know, uh, livestock is our own way of raising up our, our animals. And so everything that we have, like even the plants, everything is organic. And a lot of that is um, we're moving away from that. And I think it's uh, when I hear about the opening of the, um, of the stores and uh, the, the cities or the towns, um, it could also mean that um, uh, we're, we're not paying attention well enough. Um, I think Creator says to us that we have to pay attention and we have to listen. And that listening, I think, is, is, is you know, not happening. We're not listening well to each other. And so those are the concerns that happens. I mean, our indigenous peoples are now accustomed to this way of life now, you know, internet, uh, uh, this fast world that is just moving all the time. And next thing you know, it's one thing after another. And we're moving into that way of life, but sometimes we're also moving away from our culture and our traditions and our spirituality. And I think that we have to remember that um, our people have struggled for a very long period of time, for over about 500 years now. Um, and we struggle, we, we, we uh, were up against violence, we're up against racism, up against oppression, up against uh, sufferings, um, even health concerns, even as of today. Um, many of the people struggle with their immune system. Um, and, and part of that has to do with uh, the countries. Um, one, of, one of the things that I can, I can say is that uranium mines mm -hmm. on the Navajo Nation have not been cleaned up. And this is, was a time when I, I believe in the World War that when the atomic bomb was being made, our, our ancestors were were digging these mines and and uh and so and half of the time they weren't they weren't told about them um and so still today some of that affects the health of many peoples because this is it's in the air 
you know, we breathe it in and it, and it uh, causes all these uh, health issues that, that our people are up against right now. Even just as Bishop David Bailey had mentioned about our food supplies, uh, uh, our health concerns is around um, mostly foods that aren't healthy. We have mostly gas stations on the reservation and, uh, and it's a lack of resources that we continue to have up to this day. And I think that um, when I was thinking about this, uh, this COVID-19 is really um, telling a lot. Yep. It's beginning to tell a lot about what is really going on in our world and especially among the underserved, especially among people who are not listened to, especially people who are suffering to this day because of lack of healthcare, lack of, understand, lack of understanding. A lot of justice issues are being revealed right now. And it's all because I believe that we're a hidden people, you know? And, and, and that's where I think uh, a lot of our communities community struggle with um, being invisible. Yeah, I, 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 so well said. And I think when you talk about listening and as people open, as states open up and as people uh, clamor for their privileges, they are discounting the lives of others uh, to, and not listening to those who are most vulnerable, not simply listening to their voices, but listening to their realities, right? And not listening uh, and caring for the most vulnerable so that the vulnerable now are becoming disposable. Uh, uh, and so whether that's wittingly or unwittingly, we are creating now a culture and saying that certain people are indeed disposable. For instance, we hear politicians say that our elders are, uh, can be sacrificed or disposable. So I'm reminded of the, as we talk about this and to hear you talk, uh, Reverend Cornelia and Bishop uh, David, I'm reminded of the 300 and mile long walk is from Arizona to the detainment camps at Fort Sumner, New Mexico, where some 8,000 people or more were held uh, from 1864 to 1868, which is tantamount to the extermination of uh, the Navajo Nation. And it is as if this COVID crisis has revealed the 21st century version of another long walk to extermination, unless someone boldly intervenes, first listens, and then intervenes. And this leads me to the role of the church. Bishop David, recognizing that not only has COVID-19 extracted a disproportionate impact upon Navajo Nation, but also a, a disproportionate financial impact, even as it is revealed this long history, as uh, Reverend Cornelia so astutely pointed out, this long history of a people who have been made vulnerable and vulnerable and who have been considered ex uh, uh, expendable. What ought the church be doing? How can the church step in and not only listen, but to 
boldly intervene so that in fact, we do not continue this legacy of what I call the legacy of the long wall. You know, the, the Navajo Nation as an indigenous community is probably the most visible of the invisible. Okay. And particularly now at this, at this particular time, you know, you mentioned the long walk in, in 1864 to 1868, and, and there were over 50 long walks in the midst of that period of time uh, with over 10,000 Navajo and Apache people that were incarcerated there and that, that were shot if they could not maintain the trip. And, and that included women, children, and elders. Uh, and if that was the only impact, then you could say, well, you know, that was a time in history, but it wasn't because then they experienced the boarding schools. And again, it wasn't just the Navajo, it was the indigenous community, you know, the folks that, that were the founders of this land as a, as a society. And so we had the boarding schools and then following that for the Navajo, we then had the Livestock Reclamation Act where the federal government took away over two thirds of their flock of cattle, horses, and sheep. So, so as a people, they have continued to experience abuse upon abuse upon abuse. The reason I share that is that that was a political decision by both federal and local governments as to how to deal with the people that were different than they were. In the midst of that, the communities of faith continued to try to reach out other than a very dark time during the boarding school issue where some of them were very abusive in their action. But the communities of faith have tried to reach out continually to the people. The Episcopal Church has been involved in the life of the church in Navajo land since 1894. And the Episcopal Church built the first three hospitals for Navajo people on the reservation. The first one in 1894, the second one in 1922, and the third one in, in the early 40s. So the, the, the people of faith, the Episcopal Church, has been involved all along in trying to affirm the humanity and spirituality of the Navajo people. What we need to do today is one, to not allow our indigenous communities to be invisible. That's right. We, we, we cannot change what was done before us, but we certainly cannot continue advocate for behavior that is harmful to part of the population. If we believe Holy Scripture at all, and we return to Genesis 1, and we look at the creation story, and we hear that on the sixth day, the creator invented, created humanity and saw that it was very good. And I'm not hearing the creator say he invented Anglos <laughs> or he invented Asians. I'm not hearing that. I'm hearing that he invented all of, of humanity. And if we are a people of faith, we have a responsibility to respond to that creation. And we have a responsibility to a people that have been deprived and and abused and put over. 
you you say that so well and and so powerfully and i uh we are one thing that covid has revealed uh is that we are interconnected as people across the globe so that what happens in one part of the globe impacts uh, a person in another part of the globe that has been clear but that doesn't mean that we have lived into that when we think of the Episcopal Church, we think of diocese and a connected church, yet in so many ways we are disconnected in that not only we may have a, a history of response uh, to Navajo land and Navajo nation, but also on our watch, we have this legacy of a long walk toward extermination as a third of uh, the uh, people don't have electricity or don't have running water that has left a people, a sacred people, so much more susceptible to an exterminating virus uh, like COVID. And so it's a, it's, it's a challenge for the church to be church. And so I want to end with this as we are up against, there's so much that we can talk about. As we are up against our time, I want to ask uh, Reverend Eaton, what then, what is the challenge for us? What does it mean to be church in the time of COVID-19? Well, you know, one of the things obviously is living into our baptismal covenant as Christians, as is even the Episcopal Church in Navajo land. I think the Episcopal Church in Navajo land really relates to uh, the baptismal covenant, you know, even the Beatitudes. I mean, I, I parallel the Beatitudes with our beauty way ceremonies. It's not one of those where everything is, is uh, done away with. Everything is healed, but we learn how to live into uh, the, the coping way in a healthy way as a spiritual people together. And, um, and that we stand up for uh, rights that um, for our rights, you know, because we, we are a human being, we are five fingered people, they say, and that, um, and that's what makes us very unique. You know, our ancestors spirit is here with us. They speak to us and we have to listen. Um, we've lived into, uh, moving back into their old traditional way of life and speaking our language again. You know, there's a lot of things that we're living into right now, even as a church. And I think one of the things that the way we give back as a church is through generosity. Generosity is an amazing gift and it's a prayer and it comes from the heart. You know, my, my grandmothers and my grandfathers and all our ancestors were, were generous people because the mother earth provided gener generously, you know, and with the creator. And so there's all these ceremonies around harvesting, planting, uh, offerings, ceremonies, livestock songs. I mean, our culture is just so rich in so many ways, but we have to remember that um, the creator reminds us, but still listen carefully. And that in listening, we learn how to give back. And out of giving back is that generosity of helping this world heal together. Uh, together, it's about the uh, togetherness that we're, we're all a part of in this ministry. Thank you for that. We are at our time and I think that that's a uh, good place to end except to say that 
this is only the beginning and I invite people to, to listen uh, and to listen to those as uh, Bishop uh, David has said that have uh, been made invisible and for the church to listen. Yes, Bishop David. No. Oh, <laughs> and so I invite uh, those who are engaging in this conversation and listening in on this conversation to please listen more to those invisible and most vulnerable voices because this is where we see the growing impact of COVID-19 even as others may be ignoring those voices. For those of us who care about other human beings, we have to listen to persons like those that are indeed find themselves in these situations of suffering uh, needlessly uh, in places like Navajo Nation. And so I just thank both of you for joining me this afternoon and bringing this uh, aspect of COVID-19 and its impact uh, to the attention of a wider audience. Thank you.